Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, I'm pleased to be joined on the podcast this week by the Reverend Fergus Butler Galley to talk about his new book, Touching Cloth, Confessions and Communions of a Young Priest. It's published by Bantam Press, an imprint of Transworld, and you can buy a copy from the Church Times Bookshop for the reduced price of £15.29. There's also an extract published in this week's Church Times and a review by the Venerable Dr Lyle Denon, who describes the book as being, quote, filled with many stories of funny clerical mishaps and profound spiritual reflections. So this is your third book, I believe, following on from A Field Guide to the English Clergy and Priest de la Résistance. The first two books were about other priests, but this is about your own ministry. I wondered why you decided to write this kind of book at this time. Um, I think there are a number of reasons. Uh, firstly, people people told me, editors, non-church people and church people, um, told me it, it was of interest. I think when clergy say, oh, I don't like talking about myself, you have to take it with a pinch of salt because invariably we do have to. Hopefully in a way that points to the revelation of, of God through the person of Jesus Christ. But, you know, you are a figure who is up the front every Sunday, to put it, to put it simply. And I think people were interested in what that looks like in the 21st century, and specifically for someone young. You know, the year I was ordained, I was ordained age 26, the average age, so not the maximum age, the average age that people were that year was 52 years old it's exactly double the age i was and you know i i've i've been uh presiding at the cremation today of a, of a good and holy priest who was ordained in his in his late 40s i think late vocation has actually saved the church in many ways but it means therefore that that young vocations which were once the norm you know you go back even 60 years being ordained at 26 wouldn't have been considered unusual are now considered to be of interest um and i suppose it was it was partly telling that story i was fortunate enough i had a fantastic curacy um i served my title at liverpool parish church which is i think has claimed to be one of the most kind of vibrant and interesting churches in the whole church of england it is astonishing the amount of stuff they do the way they do it in many ways very progressive and modern in terms of it's 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 being where people are, but also very old-fashioned in terms of it being proper church and state tied together. You know, the church is still the absolute centre of that city. Um, and so I had this absolutely incredible curiosity experience with so many stories. And I know every cleric has, you know, stories going back to the start of their ministry and experiencing strange things and interesting people. But there is something about Liverpool and the stories it can tell um, that, that when combined with the idea of it being a younger priest's story within the 21st century the two of them together um i was eventually persuaded is was worth you know chronicling sure and then the, the book structured around the liturgical year um I mean, was that a deliberate decision to i mean perhaps introduce readers to the rhythm of of ministry yeah well i'm a, I'm a good high churchman so i'm always in favor of you know instilling people with feasts they've never heard of um <laughs> Well, initially the idea was it was put to me so, oh, could you keep a diary? Um, my my problem 
with a lot of those diaries is of course they're not of course they're not true um, because actually on the busiest day of your ministry you haven't got time to write down mm. what you've done i certainly didn't um and i you know i wish i had so i said to the publisher I said look uh, how about you know pinning it to the liturgical year there's still a pattern to it there is still a structure but we're not in the position whereby i am making things up because i i said look i'm, I'm a clergy i don't want to write a you know, kind of bump a book of lies in order to sell books, frankly. I want to tell the truth of ministry and what it's actually like on the ground. And whilst I can tell you the sort of, some instances that happened on particular days, I'm afraid I do not have a sort of microscopic photographic memory for every single instance and tell you exactly when it happened at 3pm on the 15th of June, this occurred. Um, And so for me, that was partly integrity. It was saying, okay, I can tell you about the rhythms of the year. And I think people in ministry will, will probably testify to this. Individual days very, very rarely matter. But you, you you deal within kind of sweeps of movement. You deal within um, longer or more godlike periods of time, frankly. You, you deal in God's time rather than in your own. And so a period of 24 hours might not actually be significant, but a period of, you know, um, 74 hours might be. Um, mm. But that is not pinpointed in the way that the world pinpoints it it pinpointed in the rhythm of the people of god and i hope that this kind of more accurately bears witness to that and i found i mean while it's about your ministry the book's really also about a lot of other people and the people whom you ministered to um yeah i also just wanted to ask you about i mean you start the book with why did you become a priest i mean could i let's go back and perhaps say why did you become a christian you don't talk loads about your own background in the book but it sounds from your descriptions that it was you were baptized as an infant some irregular you know occasional church going but it wasn't very religious yeah i mean i was actually baptized at home um kind of lib lib catholic priests will kind of liberal catholic priests westcott house people where i trained will go oh no it's got to be in the parish mass um no i was baptized at home i was baptized in a in a fruit bowl um so my relationship with the church was irregular from the very beginning really and uh, and that was because I was going into hospital and my parents thought I was going to die. So uh, there was a good pastoral reason to do that. And I think the, the, the incumbent of um, stone in Oxney on the Romney Marsh, where it technically happened, was probably uh, probably right to do so. But no, I wasn't brought up in a deeply Christian household. We would hop in maybe at Christmas and Easter. I very quickly decided I didn't want to do that because I found church boring, frankly. Um, but there was sort of this, I've talked before, I think about how I don't think most conversions happen through Damascene moments. I don't think they happen through the Wesleyan kind of idea of being strangely warmed in one place, one time. I will say strangely warmed sounds like, you know, peeing yourself in a swimming pool. Um, I don't think it happens in these individual moments. I think the call of God is a low slow lifelong call um and for me that was very much the case i found myself in a situation as a teenager whereby i essentially came to an intellectual conclusion i'm unusual i I guess i think a lot of people are converted in heart before head i'm working on heart still in a big way um but i but i was convinced in head i was convinced that intellectually christianity was something i believed in and then you find yourself with the question, well, what does that mean for, for you in your life here and now? What does that mean you have to do? And 
I initially said, well, okay, you need to start going to church. Yes, it's rubbish to have to wake up early in the morning, but you should go because if you think this is true, that is what it compels you to do. Um, you should read these things. You should look at the Bible. You should pray. And slowly but surely that process over the course of about, I suppose, from the ages of 16 to 23, um, led me into this sense, well, okay, maybe maybe you're called to something more. Um, maybe you're called to ordination. I mean, you're you're at Oxford, and seem a lot of your friends went on to you know, graduate programs in yeah. city jobs or governments or whatever. And yeah. you were there as a someone in your early mid twenties, um, well, early twenties, considering getting ordained. I mean, what or deciding to to become ordained? What what was the reaction of your friends and family to that? It seems quite countercultural in some ways. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, I, the thing about Oxford, the University of Oxford, is um, it's filled with people who are frankly deeply unusual. Um, so really being ordained was 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 amateur hour compared to some of the things people <laughs> got up to, um, certainly in my college. Um, my friends were very tolerant. They were very, not even tolerant, they were very interested. It was, um, I was very lucky. You know, many of them would have described themselves as atheists. Um, uh, many of them had zero contact with the church. They thought it was a weird, odd thing. Um, but for them, it then became something they took an interest in. And I have a great picture of me and my old sort of, Friends from St. John's, uh, some of whom, as you said, gone into grad programs or uh, postgraduate study, gone done rugby and things like that. Um, all standing there with me, kind of smiling as if we were back X many years previously at college. And I- I'm very grateful for their support, even though it was done in a way that perhaps wasn't the conventional spiritual support. You know, they weren't gathering around me and praying for me what they were doing was was meeting me regularly and keeping me grounded and reminding me of where the church was doing good, where they would be like, oh, that sounds amazing. That's incredible. And also where the church was, you know, there'd be times where I'd say, well, that sounds stupid or why, why on earth are you doing that? Or that's really weird. Um, so that link to, dare I say, reality. And frankly, the kind of people who are in a parish you are going to be ministering to, right? people who you will encounter who will have not know about the church and not have anything to do with the church. Um, that was good. My family, yeah, they, I mean, my parents had always said, oh, we can all go and do whatever we want. They were very sort of liberal in their parenting style. Don't think they expected me to go and um, join Anglican orders. When my sister joined a commune in Berlin, I think that was more what they had in mind. Um, but, you know, you can't say go and do what you want and then say, no, I didn't mean like that. So mm-hmm. in the end, they were very much like, well, this is what you want to do. We'll, we'll support you. And uh, yeah, I've been, I have been very lucky in that, in those relationships with ironically, those outside the church have historically been easier than, than some of the relationships with those people inside. And I'm sure I'm not the only cleric who's found that. There's one quote that struck me in the book, well, out of many, but you said in death, tragedy and comedy are never too far from one another. Yeah. I wondered, is it, is it the same in parish ministry? I mean, in the book, it's often something hilarious happens and then there's a great moment of great poignancy as well yeah. within a day. Oh, absolutely. And I think God is God is very good at using those moments to teach us, to show us. I, you know, I, I always think um, of, of bits of, 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 of stories in Holy Scripture where you often have something that is manifestly ridiculous paired with something deeply revealing. Um, I love that little domestic argument at the wedding at Cana between Jesus and his mother, a little nagging him. Um, and yet, which is a funny moment, it's a moment of comedy. Um, you know, it could be written by Jerry Seinfeld, you know, 
Jewish mother nags her, nags her son. What a surprise. You know, it's, it's a great kind of, it's a great trope that's even there in the Bible. Um, and then you have this moment of revelation, of deep revelation about, about what, what, what fullness of life means and what, what, who Christ is. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think we see that in the pattern of Holy Scripture. We see that in the pattern of, of, of Christian lives lived through the centuries. I don't think we should be surprised when it happens in, um, in, in parish life. And I think we shouldn't be sh- ashamed or scared of laughing at some of those bits because I think it's actually really, really important. And most clergy with a healthy attitude to parish ministry know this and have this. They, they, they know that there are bits where you have to laugh because there's nothing else you can do. Um, so yeah, I, I think absolutely they're tightly, tightly linked. If you're just saying, short, I'm called to make God known while being all too human. I wondered if you ever felt that any pressure to play down the your humanity during either ordination process or, or while you're in parish ministry and then to put on this sort of holy facade. Oh, I think so. Um, but I think that way leads to destruction. I think I think the the, the again, holy scripture. I think the life of the church is filled with people who are not owning their humanity, who are not, who are thinking that God calls us to be gods and he doesn't. He calls us to be frail flesh saved by God. And that's a very key distinction. Uh, And invariably it is those who have the prettiest, highest, most, you know, publicly pious profile, I would suggest, who fall the furthest and who are, up to the nastiest stuff, frankly, behind the scenes. Um, I've certainly seen that in in parish ministry. I've certainly seen that in the wider church. And and I think God calls us to be known. Uh, And that means being known by him and knowing that we're known by him and that there are no areas, no corners of our soul which will not go unswept by Christ as judge. Fine. But it also means knowing ourselves and knowing our limitations and knowing our weaknesses and knowing our foibles and knowing that those can still be transfigured and used for the gospel. Uh, and, and that's the challenge. I don't claim that's easy, but that's what I feel the absolute essence of priesthood is. Because again, as priests, you are not called to be God. You are called to point to God. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a distinction sometimes we can forget. It's just to talk about learning that much of ministry was sowing a seed, then walking away to allow something holy and good to spring forth. There's a lot of talk in, I don't want to get too much onto church politics, but this sort of talk of growth and many clergy seem to feel under pressure to have you know, increased numbers or prevent decline. I mean, do, do you think there's a, a liberation in seeing it in the way I've just quoted? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I think, I think our big problem in the church is we actually have a terrible theology of time. We expect the instantaneous. We have we have conformed entirely to the ways of the world, which expects the instantaneous. You know your, you know your delivery will be here in two minutes. Your, you know you, my, I can go on the internet and go on my phone and get this now. And I, I think the, the 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 worrying heresy in the church is the heresy of immediacy, the idea that 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 we can somehow shoehorn God or bully God or implore God into working on our timescale um and he doesn't and he won't and indeed when we try and do that my experience is he will laugh and then immediately do the opposite because that's what's best for us um so yeah i think there is that pressure look i'm i'm in no way um deluded around the the task facing the church of england i'm in no way deluded around the crisis of numbers i'm in no way deluded about the imminency 
of of decline and of of the need to engage with people but the problem is that that, that a journey with we can't then say oh this journey with god is over your lifetime and then say but i need you to do this now i think i think yes we call people to repentance yes we call people to to a deeper and richer and and closer and more authentic life with god um but we acknowledge that, that is a life it's not a moment it's not a moment on a sunday it's not a moment in a uh a ministry even it's uh it's a lifetime and actually in the lifetime of institutions it's longer than a human lifetime and so therefore when you are acting as an agent of that call the one who seeks to call people to that that louder deeper higher call you have to have a degree of of, of reality around around the length of time that these processes take and 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 it's why old people get you know, bang on about, oh, you can't really believe you know Noah lived for that long or you know they lived for 100 years. Like, what that is telling you is about the length of time involved. To live a truly spiritual, a truly redeemed life would take longer than the biological span of a human life, right? It isn't possible. Therefore, we trust in the grace of God. And I feel as a church, we're not very good at doing that. We're not very good at saying, we're doing this thing now. We say, oh, God is doing a great thing here. I'm great, fine, wonderful. I'm more interested in what is God going to be doing here in 100, 200 years when I stand, I hope, in the full, basking in the full glory of the resurrected Jesus. What will he still be doing beyond me and above me and apart from me? And that that's the challenge because it involves the complete suppression of ego. It involves a complete you know, uh, rejection of, of, of modern concepts of time. But but I do think it's what we're called to do. I just thought the book, I don't, I don't want to... Give away what what happens in the book, but it ends on a, a quite painful note. You're, you say your, your new diocese has told you there's no post available for you at the moment, and you, but you say I'm not sure I mind. I just I just want to reflect on that really. And do you have a sense of what the future might hold? I mean, it, it, could it be return to parish ministry or more of a, a career in you know, writing, being a public voice as as you are now? For, for uh, public new, public nuisance, I'm sure, <laughs> is probably what it's thought of. Um, well, when I say I, I'm not sure I mind, I mean that I'm not sure. I'm still hmm. processing. You know, I served in the Diocese of London and had a terrible time, frankly. I was told by the then Bishop of Kensington, there is no room for you here. There is no place. Um, which may well have been true. I, 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 am, I am open to that perception. But I think what is incumbent on the leadership of the church is to be creative around where you deploy people. Um, now, it may well be that the current model of the church of england the current leadership of the church of england um you know those who sign off on stuff do not have the room to do that for me um i would be would be saddened by that because i i fundamentally came into this wanting to be a parish priest i didn't want to go and be a college chaplain i didn't want to go and be a you know a talking head and i i came into this as, as valuable as those ministries are don't get me wrong but but i came into ministry because I wanted to go and be a vicar somewhere. I wanted to go and be rooted in place and 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 speak to that place of Jesus Christ. I hope it will still be possible, but but I don't know. I can, you know, there's only so many jobs you can apply for, frankly, um, before you get the message. I will keep writing for as long as people want me to keep writing, as long as people are vaguely interested in things I have to say, as long as my publisher is keen. Um but clearly there is a space in the public sphere for people speaking. I think, honestly, I think this is the big problem that, that, that 
so often the the stuff you get out of the Church of England and the stuff you get out of some churches, it's it doesn't seem to be honest. Um, and I don't mean that as as it kind of deliberately lying. I just think it it is it is what we were talking about earlier about time. I, I just don't feel that we're being deep down honest with ourselves about the way God works and the way we work and who we are as a church and as individuals. And and I guess I think there is because of that lack of honesty among dare I say it, archdeacons, bishops, because of that lack of honesty, that desire to protect the institutional integrity, and which I sympathise with, I understand, but it can lead to a lack of honesty. As long as there is a space for that, I guess I will try and fill it. But I can only do it to the best of my weak, fallible, human ability. Uh, and, and I suppose that is the essence of being honest, saying, actually, I say there is a time um, there will be a place where, where that won't be possible anymore. And that's fine. That's okay. Um, and frankly, in many ways, I look forward to it. <laughs> and just finally, do you have a plan for another book after this or is it too early to say? Uh, I am putting together a, um, a book, actually, a proposal, uh, which I, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say much about yet. That's fine. But I don't know. My, my agent can shout at me. Um, but it will be more global. Um, it will be, be a look at, at churches, I think at, at places, at places where people encounter God um, on a global scale. And what does that say about the faith that they encounter there? You know, what can we learn about Christianity? What can we learn about the message of Christ and, and who and what God is through the places that people have consecrated in his name? And, and the failings that have happened there, the successes that have happened there, the glories, the, the highs, the lows, etc. Um, so just a small, non-expansive topic, as I'm sure you can uh, imagine. So yeah, needs a bit of honing down, but we're, we're working on it at the moment. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.